Kia ora and welcome to the Marlborough Book Festival podcast, the place where you can hear writers talk about their work, their lives and the inspiration behind their writing. I'm Sonia, the chair of the committee, and today I'm thrilled to be introducing the wonderful Barbara DeLeo, who leads a workshop on self-publishing. There's never been a better time to self-publish, says Barbara. Her workshop at the 2022 Marlborough Book Festival canvasses every step of the process, from writing and editing, formatting and publishing, to getting your book into e-readers, audio and libraries, and perhaps onto the shelves of little bookshops on the opposite side of the world. Barbara also talks about marketing, getting paid royalties for your work, and the potential pitfalls of being your own gatekeeper. Thanks to everyone who made the 2022 Marlborough Book Festival such a success. Every fortnight we will share sessions from this year's event all the way through to the 2023 Marlborough Book Festival. For now, please enjoy Barbara DeLeo speaking at the Marlborough Book Festival 2022. Thanks, Charlotte. No mai haere mai, enna mana enna reo e rauranga tirama, tina koutou, tina koutou, tina tato katoa. Welcome. I'm so excited to see so many people um, from Marlborough wanting to come along to a self-published workshop. Um, when we, the committee and I first talked about this about a year ago, they said to me, well, you know, how long, how long would you like? And I said, a week or two or six or... Um, so when I got the, the uh, 90 minutes, I had to think very carefully about um, what I was going to cover because I know from having a look around the room that I have some people here who are already self-published, uh, there are some people who have not started the manuscript that they that they want to self-publish, so we've got quite a broad range of things to go through today, so I hope you find something that's really useful for you. Um, there's a lot of information. And um, to make it a little easier for you, I have popped um, this uh, slide presentation onto my website, um, which is here. That is me and that's some of my book covers, some of my latest covers. Um, I am at um, barbaradilio.com and if you just go forward slash Marlborough Book Festival, all of these slides are there for your use. And I'll keep them up there for about two months. Things change so rapidly in um, in the self-publishing world that I don't want to have incorrect information up there. But if you happen to go there and it's not there, just email me and I'll, I'll, I'll send it through to you. I've also got lots of live links on there to all sorts of places that might be useful for you. Um, so hopefully that all helpful. So um, I have got uh, three spots through the presentation today um, for any questions. I'm happy to answer anything. I'm not the world's expert on self-publishing. I've just done it myself and I've done a lot of learning, so I'll try to answer um, the questions that you might have. So uh, barbaradilio.com uh, forward slash Marlborough Book Festival, and this is exactly what you'll get when you get there. In fact, we couldn't make my computer work, so this is, the, this is what's showing through my website today. So what are we going to cover today? We're going to look at these things. Why you might want to self-publish. The different sorts of self-publishing. Self-publishing globally versus self-publishing in New Zealand. Different self-publishing formats. Getting your manuscript ready. Doing the most important thing, the writing. Then we're going to look at 
editing, how you get your uh, manuscript proofed. We're going to look at formatting. We'll quickly talk about if you have illustrations, how you pop those into your uh, manuscript. We're going to look at the importance of cover design, how you do that if you're not a graphic designer, how you get paid as a self-published author. We're going to look at different sales models. We're going to quickly uh, talk about audiobooks. And then, depending if we've got enough time, um, the all-important marketing and advertising as a self-published author. And then I'll just talk through you through the legal requirements as a self-published author in New Zealand. So um, please think of questions as we go. And as we get to our little points through, um, I'll try and answer those as well as I can. So my road to publication is that um, I started writing in about 2005 and I signed with a New York agent in 2011. Now that's a long time. Um, and... As today, back then, if you wanted to uh, be published by any of the major global publishing houses, you could not approach them directly. They, would reject, they, they wouldn't even answer the, your emails. There was no pathway for you to do that. The only way you could do that for most genres was to go through an agent. And to get an agent, you have to go through that kind of gatekeeping situation as well where you send your manuscript. They decide if they want to take you on and then um, they shop around. So um, it's, it is still a very difficult path. Um, there are some publishers who will take unsolicited manuscripts. Because I write contemporary romance, one of the biggest publishers in the world is Harlequin, and they did accept um, uh, uh, unsolicited manuscripts, but it still wasn't an easy road. Can everybody hear me all right? I feel like I'm sort of... Uh, crackling a little bit. Um, so I signed in 2011 and in 2012, um, so at the end of 2011, my agent sold my first manuscript and my first uh, book came out in 2012. Um, I then had, with that publishing house, I had six books come out, um, various contracts from single con single um, book contracts. So I had a three-book contract in there. And pretty much what happens is with that is the... Um, you sign over... You sign the, the rights for your book over to the publisher for a... For a um, for a length of time. Mine was mostly five years, and so I had no rights to that manuscript through that whole time. They took care of everything, um, and they published, and, um, and I received the royalties from that. And that's still the way the traditional um, publishing model runs. You have to get through those gatekeepers, then you, then you sign your, the rights to your books over, and then they do everything. So... Um, I did that. Um, I had four small children at the time. I found it quite difficult to to write really regularly and get books out really regularly. That, six books I think I had out in five years. That's quite that's quite a slow for my genre. Um, and um, really, what happens also is that with uh, traditional publishers, and I'm certainly not bagging traditional publishers. That they're, they're great, and I'm not saying that I'm never going to go with traditional publishers again. But one of the issues that I had was that my book would be one of say five books that came out that month with that publisher. The bells and whistles go off. They might put some ads out for you. The end of that month, they've got another five books. They're finished. They're finished pushing you. They're done. You have to do the rest of that yourself anyway if you're traditional. And I found I found that quite frustrating. I found it quite frustrating that that you know they then 
you know, they might try and push me here, there and, and, and on occasion, but it was um, really going to be up to me. So in 2019, I got all my rights back. My agent had to negotiate to get all my rights back with my publisher, and I now own all those rights again, and I have published, republished those, and I'm publishing new books as well. So that's really my road. Um, Let's have a look at why you might want to self-publish. Quite a few reasons and probably different reasons for all of you here. Um, maybe you just want to express yourself creatively. That's, that's what you just want to write a book and you want to have it out in the world. Maybe you've got a memoir or a memento um, that, or a story that you want to um, have available for anybody who might want it, but you're not interested in selling lots and lots of copies, or maybe you are. Um, maybe you want to just be able to print individual books, so perhaps you have a specific, really, really niche non-fiction topic. Uh, maybe you're a hobbyist, maybe you've um, got model um, trains in, on a particular engine, and you want to be able to say to somebody, oh, go to Amazon and buy my book on that. You, maybe that's maybe that's who you are. Maybe you, you want to share your hobby or your knowledge. Maybe you've had a particular thing happen in your family and you want to have books that are available for anybody around the world. Um, print books, digital books, audio books, whatever. Uh, maybe you want to have your book available in libraries and bookstores all over the world um, and make money from it. Maybe you want to become uber rich and famous um, and making millions and having clam readers clamouring from your books. There are all of those reasons um, why you might want to self-publish. So this is how publishing used to be, and it's a little bit difficult to see on here, so I'll kind of talk you through it, but you can see it on my website. The flowchart was you write your book, so you got your idea, you write your first draft, you send it to your beta readers or your, um, editor, uh, your um, editor if you have one, um, you do your edits, um, and then you go down this kind of chain. Is your editor happy with it? No, then they send it back to you to do some more work. If they're happy with it, then they might pitch to agents. Are the agents happy with it? Yes, they, you'd move on. No, you've got to go back to reworking it. And that top bit is the, that's where you spend all your time, working, reworking, rewriting, doing all those sorts of things. And then you get down to here, if the agent's happy with it, they will pitch it to the publishers, and the publishers will then say if they like it or not. And then we'll go down, you'll sign with the publisher, is the publisher happy? No, we go back round again, etc. Self-publishing, you still do your first three steps. If you're happy with it, you self-publish it. Okay? Now, obviously, there are positives and negatives around both of those, but that's really the two different. Um, what's on the right here was, was the only way that you could do it pre about 2007. Okay, what a wee question for you. On average, what percentage of the book's cover price do you think a traditionally published author earns? So we're thinking of the cover price, what a reader would pay for it. Do you think it's 6%, 12%, 24%, 48% or 56%? Have a wee think. Who thinks 6%? Okay, 12, 24, 48%. 56, it's 6%. That's what the author earns. If you're agented, you then pay your agent 15% of your 6%, okay? So, and that's still the way things go. Um, 
uh, it's, of course, the digital prices are lower than print prices, but that's, that's still the way it works in, in, even when you're with a traditional publisher and they're doing digital. So let's have a look at what, digi uh, what, what self-published authors earn. Do you think it's 10%, 30 40 60 or 70 Who thinks it's 10% of the cover price? 30% of the cover price for the author? 40%? 60%, 70%. You're right, it's 70%. If you publish with Amazon, you get 70% of the, of the uh, price that, that they sell it for. They get 30, you get 70, okay? And you're probably not going to be uh, agented. Of course, you're going to be paying for things like your editing and your cover and what have you, but it's quite a different model, as you can see. And that really hasn't changed. Now, before we go any further, I want to explain the difference between self-publishing and vanity publishing. They're, some people think they're the same thing, and they definitely are not. So self-publishing is when you hold the rights to your book, just you, um, and the majority of the publishing, marketing, and distribution decisions are made by you. So you can do everything yourself in this process, or you can, or you can uh, contract people to do it, the editing, the book cover design, the, your website, you can get somebody to do that, but you own those rights, okay? The, also, the key is that the money flows to you, okay? Vanity publishing is when you give the rights to somebody else, and they also require you for, to pay for, for all the process. So they own the rights to the book, but you have to pay for print costs, you have to pay for editing, you have to pay for the cover design. Um, these people are not, um, they are not discerning with who they choose, they just want the money. So they publish anything and everything. But beware, do not go down the vanity publishing track because you do not own the rights to your book. If something goes wrong, it's very difficult to get your rights back, okay? Um, if you're not sure if a, um, somebody is uh, a vanity publisher, you need to go to Writer Beware. The link will take you through on my website. This is always updated, and it includes um, um, global um, companies who pretend to be self-publishing companies, but they are vanity publishing companies, okay? So um, that's an important thing to look out for. Okay, so how is indie publishing, well, some people call it indie independent publishing or self-publishing in 2022? All you need is a computer, you need an internet connection, and you need a manuscript. You can be in charge of, as I said before, every aspect from um, obviously the writing, but you could even get somebody to ghostwrite it if you want to, uh, to creating the covers, to the marketing and beyond. You can do it all yourself. There's, a, there's an app for everything. Uh, you can do as much or as little as you want. I've got friends who just write the book and they have somebody to do their website, somebody to do their covers, somebody to do their marketing, etc., etc. And, you know, they're, they're often people who are making multi-six figures and so they want to just be fo focused on the, um, on the writing, but some of them also want to do their covers. So you can also do all that yourself. Um, and you can sell and lend books on multiple platforms all over the world. So I just wanted to talk about the difference between self-publishing globally and self-publishing in New Zealand. 
I have not self-published in New Zealand. I just publish globally, and that's pretty much because of the genre that I write in. Um, but they are a little bit different. So you can sell any book globally, any book, um, and there are lots of benefits to doing so. So if you if you self-publish globally, there are mammoth storefronts, and I mean mammoth, that have millions and millions of people going on there every day just to buy books, and those people are hungry of every single genre that you could imagine. There are smaller upfront costs because you're not doing print runs um, with these big storefronts, and I'll explain that a little bit um, more in detail later. There's lower risk, so you have lower outlay, um, um, upfront outlay. Um, you, you can do print on demand rather than having to print, um, say, a minimum of 200 or 500 copies. Okay, so you can just get those books printed whenever you want. I can go on today and say I want 200 copies of my book sent to me by next week and they will be here. They'll get printed in Australia and um, at Amazon in Australia. Um, distribution, distribution is simplified because those storefronts also distribute to their readers, either the print copy or the digital copy, you don't have to do any of the distribution yourself. Um, there's global expertise in all aspects of that, so you can get help uh, from those places. They also offer subscription services, which is quite a new thing. Um, I'll explain a little bit more about it later, but it's basically readers pay a monthly subscription, a little bit like Netflix, and they go to the storefront and they can borrow up to 10 books that are in that service without paying anything for it, and the um, storefront will pay the author by the number of pages that have been read in that month. I'll explain a little bit further about it later. You also, being on those storefronts, um, have access to stores and libraries, and I'll explain that a little bit further later as well. You also have that competitive royalty rate of 70% on, I think it's pretty much every single storefront. So when would you consider self-publishing in New Zealand? There are some instances where you might want to do it in New Zealand first. The first one is if you've got specific New Zealand non-fiction content. If you've got something that's specifically New Zealand in non-fiction, you may want to partner with a, de a designer and a publisher, um, sorry, a printer in New Zealand that is going to get your books to where they need to go. Okay, or sometimes if you've got a particularly niche genre, and often New Zealand literary fiction is going to do better than most genres in New Zealand. That makes a lot of sense, right? So you might want to do that. You might want to uh, to get a New Zealand-based um, um, printer on board, designer on board to help you get that. And there are ways that you can distribute within New Zealand, but you won't then be able to distribute that distribute that beyond New Zealand. So the the best the best um, way to do that, in my opinion, would be to do both. Right, because you're going to have to distribute yourself if you publish in New Zealand and you print in New Zealand and you've got your cartons of books in your in your garage. You're going to have to distribute that yourself. There's no reason at all why you can't do both. Okay, so that if you you know you see somebody in a lift and they say, "Oh, I really want a copy of your book," and you don't have it on you, you can say, "Go to Amazon; it's on there." Okay, so there's no reason why you can't do both at the same time because you own the rights. You can do whatever you like. So where can you self-publish? 
these are the main players. So there's Amazon, which is about 90% of the market. Their self-publishing arm is called Kindle Direct Publishing, and it's very easy to operate. That link will take you directly to there. Um, and as I said, it's 90% of, of um, self-published authors use it. Um, and uh, they have millions of people buying books there every day, as well as other products. Um, Kobo is really popular with New Zealand readers who read digitally and the reason for that is that Whitcalls were the sort of original um, retailers for the e-readers and they stocked Kobo e-readers. Kobo's based in Canada and they are it's very easy to, um, to publish with them. Um, when you're thinking print, just by the way, the two main players, I should have popped that in there and I might fix it up on the, on the website, are Kindle Direct Publishing and Ingram Spark. That's where you would get your print copies from. So a lot of people do Amazon first um, and so they don't have to worry because you can do print there as well. But if you're not going to do Amazon, if you're going to do some of the others, you'd get your print books done through Ingram Spark, which I'll talk about a little bit later too. So um, Apple is Apple Books and they are in Europe, Australasia and the Americas. Uh, Google Play is Google is, is worldwide and it's very strong in um, Africa because they tend to have the um, Android devices rather than the Apple devices. So that's really good if you have content where your reader is going to be in Africa. Um, Barnes & Noble is only in the United States. They have a device called the Nook device. Um, um, I've, I published with them just because there are certain readers who like my books with them, so I, I'm with them as well. Um, and Ingram Spa are a place where libraries and bookstores will go looking for new print books. So you can just have your books loaded up there. You're in their catalogue. Somebody's looking for a, a, a book on, um, you know, as, as the, the trains that we were talking about. Uh, they want that something for that in their library. They go into the catalogue. They see you there. They order your pr the print books from there. Additionally, there's some, a place called Draft to Digital, and they go into all the niche, tiny, tiny little bookstores and um, niche libraries that aren't on the main library systems. So you can be with all of those. You can be signed up to all of those places, and you can get paid from all of those places. So um, I've got a question time at the end of this next slide, but the most important thing is that you're going to get your manuscript ready by writing your manuscript. It doesn't matter what it is, if it's poetry or nonfiction or a novel or whatever it is, you're going to need to write that thing. So these are the things to consider. Back in the day when self-publishing first started, people put up any old thing that wasn't proof, that was, you know, all over the show. Our readers will not accept that anymore. You have to put your best work up there, both in content and in presentation. So always do your best work. Um, most of the major word processing programs you can use to upload directly to Amazon, but some of the other platforms don't allow you to do it directly. So um, you can convert it though. So you can write in Microsoft Word, you can write in Google Docs, you can write in um, um, uh, Mac Pages, any of those will be fine. You might have to convert them, but it's pretty easy to do that. So you can convert them using these two um, pieces of software, one's called Vellum and one's called Atticus. You can format your books to look 
absolutely beautiful. You can put links in the back for your digital books so that people can click on your website. They can click into the buy the next book in the series. Um, you won't be able to do that if you're uploading directly to, say, Amazon from Microsoft Word or uh, Google Docs, for example. But if you're serious and you want to perhaps do more than one book, I would highly recommend um, either investing in Vellum or Atticus yourself or um, outsourcing it to somebody who can convert it for you. There are lots of people who do that, and I've got some links a bit further on to help you with that. Always consider your intended audience. This is going to be important when you come to upload and you put your metadata in the back of your book, in the back of your book, and on the website. And I'll talk about that soon as well. That was a lot in the beginning. Who's got a question about anything that I've said so far? No, don't be shy. I know it's a lot and um, there'll be some things that are relevant to you and some things are not that are not. Okay, so um, you have written that manuscript and now what do you do with it? Maybe nobody has seen it. Maybe um, your best friend has seen it. Um, it's not enough just to upload it straight to um, one of those places. You need to edit and there are a number of ways and a number of types of editing that you will need to consider. So again, and I'll keep saying it, make sure you are, you are giving your best work. And if that means that you're going to have to um, get your work edited multiple times, then um, by all means do that. So if your manuscript is long, longer fiction, um, so something like um, maybe 40,000 words or above, or if it's non-fiction, I would suggest investing in one or more of these. And especially if it's your first fiction book, I would highly recommend this first one here. A developmental editor is not somebody who does the spelling and grammar. A developmental editor is an editor who is experienced in book structure. A developmental editor understands will understand the genre that you're writing in and understand the way that that book should be presented in structural format. So what I mean by that is they will understand things like story arc if you're writing fiction. They'll understand how a story should evolve from the beginning to the end and they will be able to read your manuscript and advise how you would go about um, changing some of that. Same with non-fiction. They can talk to you about the structure of the book for maximum readability and for maximum impact. They'll also talk to you about things like character and, and, um, and, and uh, content development in your non-fiction book. So um, I'll tell you shortly about where you can find these people. Um, but developmental is, uh, editor is sort of the, the editor that sort of has the overarching, the overarching view. The next is the copy editor, and they still don't look at the, the grammar and spelling. What a copy editor is looking for are, is things like continuity. So they'll be looking to see whether you had your character um, in a black pair of pants in the last scene and we're still in the same place and now they've got yellow pants on. Or whether you began in autumn and we're only um, a week, you know, we've only a week 
um, down the track and now we're in spring. So they will look for those sorts of things. A good developmental editor will probably flag those things for you, but a copy editor is going to really look closely at that sort of stuff. They also will uh, look at your pacing. Pacing is really important. Um, When you're thinking about book length, um, most people I know who are writing fiction are going to be trying to keep their book around between, uh, for a novel, between $40,000 words at the low end and at a stretch, 110,000 words at, a, at the high end. Anything more than that, um, it depends on your genre. It really does depend on your genre. Often if you've got like epic fantasy books or massive science fiction, you know, tomes, then you can go a bit longer because those readers tend to um, like those bigger books. But most other readers like things smaller so your copy editor is going to help you with your pacing um, pacing of the detail that you have um, if it's a non-fiction book and the pacing of the, the, the character development, the narrative as you go through then the third person of course is your proofreader and that can be a real live person or you can employ some digital um, solutions for that as well so your proofreader is going to pick up your spelling and your grammar now you're going to need to decide where you're going to publish. If you are primarily going to be published in the UK and in Australasia, then you're going to want to make sure that you've got UK spelling and grammar. If you are in the US, you're going to want to make sure that you have switched your um, your spelling and your grammar over to US. And yes, there are grammatical things that are different in those two places as well. So um, you can employ somebody to do that, and it sh- that should be they should be based in the place where you are intending to um, publish. So um, there are lots of freelancers available to do these three things for you, and you certainly don't have to do all three. Um, if it were my first novel. Um, I would certainly be employing all three because you also want people to read your first book and then read your second, your third, your fourth, your fifth. You don't want people stopping because of, um, you know, that they've got bored halfway through. Um, So there are a number of places. I've popped a very cheap one in there for you. It's called Fiverr. I don't even know if that's the way you say it. Those are, it's kind of unpoliced, but it's people, uh, it's freelancers who freelance with all sorts of things. You can often get a very, uh, a very, um, cost-effective solution for your proofing there. Um, The New Zealand Society of Authors, who I highly recommend you belonging to as a self-published author, depending on genre, um, but they, they do have really good examples. Uh, they've got really good um, resources on their website for self-published authors, and they can point you to local uh, people who do, do these three things. And then more specifically for writers, there's a um, website called Readsy, which is has a very high threshold of um, skill. You have to be um, at the top of your game to be allowed to freelance on there, and they have have all sorts of people on there so you can get and we'll get to it later on you can get your book cover designed on there Um, you can get um, marketing help on there but for this you can get a developmental editor who has been a New York editor of you know um, you know uh, 
Hachette or you know one of the really big publishers, they often um, often when people go on maternity leave or when they have other things happening in their li- in their lives, they will freelance, and you can um, employ them. They aren't cheap, but they are certainly the best of the best. So I'd highly recommend if it's your very first time and you're really wanting to make a go of this, make a career of it, make some money out of it. I'd highly recommend you going on to Read Z. So that's the editing. That's just the Fiverr um, logo. That's NZSA logo and the Readsy logo, and those links will um, will take you there. So for the proofing, um, you can also do that yourself. So most word processing programs, as most of you will know, have spelling and grammar checkers. You just need to make sure that's turned on when you begin. Um, they're they're pretty good these days, but the, you know some of them. Um, some of them will flag things that you might not, you may, maybe you write poetry, maybe it's going to flag things because of your punctuation in your poems. Obviously, you, you're the boss of that, so um, you need to sort of um, be confident with that. Um, there are more powerful um, pieces of software that you can get. There is a free version of Grammarly, which is pretty good, um, but you can pay for the better version. And there's a very powerful um, program called Pro Writing Aid, which connects into whichever program you're using. And it has very powerful, especially grammar suggestions. Um, I get a little bit cross with it because it says things like, this is in passive voice and sometimes I want to write in passive voice. So you need to kind of know that stuff as well. Um, But it is pretty powerful. It does mean that you're going to have to go through and accept or reject as you go, but it does kind of learn what what, what you're happy with as well. So it's a really good um, thing to invest in and those links will take you there. Again, you've got your freelancers that you can use for that as well. And that's the Grammarly logo and the Pro Writing Aid logo. Okay, so formatting. You've got your manuscript in Microsoft Word or in Pages or Google Docs or whatever. You've written to your heart's content. You have sent it off to your editor, your developmental, your copy editor, your proofreader. They've come back. You've made the changes. You might have even sent it off to a proofreader again after you've made a lot of changes, especially if you're restructuring. Now you get to the point where you want it to look like a, like a book. Um, and you can, if you are just, as I said before, just going to Amazon, um, you, can f- um, you, you can upload the, the Microsoft Word document directly to that and it will format it for you. But it's quite limited. You can't put, for example, links in the back of it. Okay, so um, what have I said to you there? So places like Amazon and Draft2Digital offer basic formatting. So you can upload it and it will put it into a book for you. It's got automatic table of contents or automatic, um, you know, where you where it says the chapters at the beginning, but you won't have that um, detailed stuff at the back. If you want more powerful things, I would highly recommend Vellum if you are a Mac user. And if you are not a Mac user, there's a way around it that you can use Vellum with a PC. It's a little bit more complicated. If you want to know about that, just email me and I can tell you. Um, or Atticus is a brand new program. It's only been out a couple of months and it is for both, I believe. And what that does is it sucks in your uh, Word document or your Google Doc and then in very simple, very, very simple way, it allows you to uh, put your chapters in. You can 
can put fancy chapter beginnings, you can put the scrolly thing at the end, you can put in the end, you can have a link to your author newsletter. For example, maybe you are wanting to do a, a cookbook, maybe you want to get people onto a, um, a regular newsletter, you can have a, a live link in the back of that digital book that you format in your formatting program that people can click on and then you've got their email address and, and you can um, send your um, newsletter out to them. So those, it's, it's, it's really good. Um, that it also, in something like Vellum and Atticus, um, it allows you to produce all of the different sorts of files that you're going to need for the different storefronts. So, of course, Amazon is a little bit different. It's actually starting to change over to what everybody else is doing now, but some of the files are different. So, in Amazon, there have been .mobi files, whereas other um, other storefronts like Barnes & Noble and Kobo have been .pub files. Vellum will, will just, with a touch of a button, produce all of them for you and they'll also produce the PDF version so that for printing. So you're obviously going to want to take your links out of the back when you do that, but it, with a push of a button, it'll pre uh, uh, produce the PDF that you would just send to a place like Ingram Spark where you're going to do all your uh, print copies or that you can send to a, a, um, a printer in Nelson if you want to um, get your work printed there, for example. Um, so those are just some of the little um, drafted digital Amazon uh, vellum, this is the little star one, and then Atticus is the one down the bottom. Okay, if you have photographs or illustrations, if you are a children's book and you've got illustrations, if you've got photographs to go with poetry or your cookbook or whatever, you can easily put those into your formatting software um, by just inserting the picture and you can put it wherever you like and you can um, you can change around the way that it looks um, you need to make sure they're very very high quality as high quality as you can get um, because you don't want to have grainy looking things especially when you're printing that um, when you're printing that out Again, vellum, it's really easy to add. So you don't want to like scan a photo and then put it in. You want to have that original photo, high pixelation, high, high resolution, so that it's easy to, um, and really sharp when you're, when you're putting it in. Okay, covers. So the old saying goes, you can't judge a book by its cover, but it's not true. Um, doesn't matter whether it's a print book on a library shelf. It doesn't matter if it's in Whitcalls or Paper Plus. It doesn't matter if it's on the Amazon digital bookshelf. Covers matter, and perhaps even more than they did in the past. Um, you need to think very carefully about your cover. You need to understand your genre and what sells in your genre if you're wanting to make money out of this. You need to know what's current my genre has gone through a huge change in 12 months where the covers that used to sell now don't sell and I've had to recover everything. So I've recovered. I don't even really particularly like the way that it's moved, but that's what sells. So that's another good thing with self-publishing is that you can recover as many times as you like. And obviously you're going to have to have put something in the front to say that, you know, this is still the same book, but... Um, what a place like Amazon will do is they will push that new cover out to your readers as well. So if they've bought the old cover, um, you can update 
the file at the, in the back end of Amazon and that will push out the new cover. So they will know that they've got the new cover if they're going to look, if, the, if they've got that. So covers are vital, vital, vital if you want to make money. Um, it must fit the expectation of your book's genre. Um, so now I had this on my laptop and I don't know if this is going to work on here, but we'll give it a whirl. Um, and I don't know if I'll be able to find my way back, but I'm, I can, I'll see. Um, so what you need to do is to think about what your genre is. And that's not always easy, I know, but, um, every book has a genre, but it doesn't matter whether it's non-fiction or poetry or, um, you know, um, medical thriller, it has a genre. If you click on your, oh, don't change, we don't want to ship that to us. If you were to click on the top 100 books in your genre, you'll be able to see what's current and what's selling. So if we just have a little scroll down here, I just chose thrillers. Um, you can look at the top 100 paid or the top 100 free you can probably get a feeling about what's selling at the moment. What do you notice about these book covers in the genre thriller? Lots of text and lots of big text, absolutely. What is there not on the cover? No faces. We've got one little, no, no, we don't even have one there. Oh, we've got one sort of unusual kind of one here, but, and we've got one there. But lots of big text and lots of big author text. Of course, if you're John Grisham, you're going to have a big. Um, you're going to have your name big as well. But you're a self-published author. You can have your name big as you like because you know you're designing it yourself. You can make it look what, like whatever. Tess Gerritsen, um, her books often look like this with kind of a blue background. She's um, firmly in the thriller genre. But maybe you um, are not straight thriller. Maybe you are a political thriller. How do they look? They look like these. They look pretty similar as well. But you see, there's, you, even the colours, you can see what's the predominant colour through here. A lot of red. A lot of blue, a lot of red. So I would highly recommend you jumping on there and seeing, and they change. And also they change with um, geographical location. The, this is, I think I've linked, you have a link to the .com store here, but if you were to go to the exact same genre in .co.uk, the, the um, British Amazon store, they will look different because those readers look for something different. And I know, I, mine are the same, wherever they are, um, but I know people who have different covers in the US as to opposed to the UK. So it's really important that you know this. Even if you're not designing it yourself, most graphic designers are not book cover experts. So if you're using your friend who, who lives in, in Marlborough, by all means do it, but give them a brief. Give, give them a good brief so that they know what, um, what is selling at the moment and what is not selling. Okay, so it's um, super duper important to know what that is. Okay, so again, you can outsource your cover design to a freelancer. Lots of really good ones on Readsy. Fiverr, that's a much cheaper version. Or you can make your own very easily. Um, there, are t there are two that I use. One's called BookBrush, which is just for authors. And the other is Canva, which some of you might know for, for other things. They also have really good book cover templates that are super duper easy to use. Um, and I've popped those links in there for you as well. So it's very important, maybe it's going to work again, 
Oh, it is. Yeah, we're back. Um, it's absolutely vital that you get the right copyright license. If you're using an image, any image on your cover, it, you have to have the right license. Um, I've got friends who have been sued for thousands of dollars for thinking they had the right license, for thinking they'd had it, have it done all the right way. Even um, things that they've had on their websites, it's really, really important that if you are doing this a lot, well, even if you're doing it at all, that you get the right, the right license. Um, how do you do that? You do that by going to places that are reputable um, image stock photo sites and they have various tiers of payment um, and uh, it's just an easy Google to find out exactly which one. I, I should have probably put it in there but it changes a little bit. So um, it, it will tell you which license you need for a digital book and which license you need for a print book. Okay, And you can just buy that buy that license and you're fine. Just just do a little bit of research for yourself there. Um, I do it all the time and I, and I know which license I need to get and, and that's, that's totally fine to use. Um, so here is, um, I have a free novella. So I write contemporary romance and for years and years and years our traditional cover was the couple clinch. So the couple right in the middle in that sort of um, triangular, like if you look at it, it sort of goes up to the triangle at the top. You've got them in a clinch. You've got um, your, your name at the top and then you've got some nice big writing and you've just got a little bit down the bottom. That's what it's been like for years and years and years. And I created that probably in about, honestly, probably about 20 minutes. It's a free novella, so I didn't use my normal, um, I have a professional um, cover designer, well, I did for this series, um, but this book was free. It's a, it's a free book for somebody coming onto my newsletter once they've read one of my books. And so um, um, I didn't want to pay a lot of money for that one. So I did that. Um, and then things changed. Then Contemporary Romance no longer has a lot of couples on the cover. And that's just really quite recent and was a little bit shocking. Um, so I'd had to do a lot of research about what was selling well. And so I took one of my old covers. Oh, by the way, I did that on Bookbrush. Very easy. I just, it's a story about a guy who was um, stuck in a, a, a guy who'd he'd had, a, he'd had a head injury. He'd met this girl, it's an old amnesia story. He'd met her years and years ago, doesn't remember, has some scars on his head. I needed a guy with a beanie. They're in a, um, a mountain house in Greece at Christmas. It needed to be snowing. I popped into deposit photos. Uh, Couple guy with guy with beanies and snow, and they, there was a photo, and so I just used it, and it was and it was pretty perfect. Um, but then things changed, and um, we now have in contemporary romance what we call vector covers, which I'm not a great fan of, but I sell, so that's all right. They are kind of like cartoony. So I had a couple clinch cover on this for about eighteen months, very similar to the one on the left that my cover designer had done. I decided to recover it, and this is it, this is it now. Um, so I just got it. Shouldn't have that little blue thing around it. It's normally that's not there, but um, very easy to do. Just get the vector, pay for the right license, pop that on, and I created that one in Canva. Um, really easy, effective, and it looks really nice in Amazon because it's bright, and even when it's got its little thumbnail, it's um, it, it's um, really easy to see. Again, that's a whole lot of information. Who's got a question about anything we've talked about so far? Yes. Uh huh. So.
So you don't need an absolute copyright on your own cover. You just need a copyright on the... Oh, do you mean so... Do you mean if you, like, got an illustration? So it's an interesting thing. I kind of went down this rabbit hole when I first started, and it's the same with getting a copyright on your book. All you need to do is to put in your book copyright Barbara Delio 2022. That's all you need to do, and that you now own the copyright to the cover and the book. What I'm talking about before was the copyright on the on the um, on the image, but if you're if you're meaning the whole thing, that's all you need to put in. You just need to put in copyright, and that's enough, I believe, for New Zealand law. Yeah. Um, just about going back to editors. Uh, your thoughts on the relationship you have with an editor, like that you're paying for. Um, and that's sort of, it's basically an employee versus if you're trad published, um, the editor is not paid by you, you've got a public relationship. You're absolutely right, and it's a really, really good question and quite a tricky thing to negotiate and navigate for yourself. Yeah, because you're you're paying them and then they're telling you it's a load of rubbish. You know? Um, I would do my research and make sure I get a really good... If I'm paying money, I want to know that I believe in that person. I'm going to be Googling and finding out who else they edit. I want to know that they know my genre. I'm not going to get anybody other than an editor who knows contemporary romance to edit my book because I don't believe they know what they need to know about story arc and character development and narrative drive and those sorts of things. So I think if you have done that homework and you've really thought carefully about who that person is, then you're just going to have to bite the bullet. And obviously you're not going to accept everything they say, but you're going to take into account their experience. Their understanding of the market too. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have an editor who has been out of the market for a long time because the market does change. You want to make sure that it's somebody who knows their stuff. So yeah, it is tricky. It is a tricky thing to negotiate when you're paying somebody. Um, but I certainly wouldn't pay a whole lot of money to a highly um, skilled professional and then not take their advice. Does that help? Does that answer the question? Yeah, yeah it's, just a, it's a very difficult Ab- You're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, absolutely. It, and it's, it is really difficult. And I would ask the question, do they know what they're talking about? Uh, have they, you know, have they edited this kind of work before? Um, do they really understand what specifically is not right with it? Um, but I think the answer is probably in the quality of the person that you have employed. And which is why when a, if I was starting out, I would go for, I would employ somebody from Reed Z, somebody who has been a, you know, a, 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 an editor at a big publishing house who knows their stuff. Yeah, and you, you might have to do a bit of due diligence before you hire them. But ultimately, you know, you are your own boss. You don't have to do what they tell you. You can do whatever you like, but you need to know what those consequences might be further down the track if people are not going to buy your books because you don't meet the genre expectations, for example. Or... You know, people are just putting the book down because it's not engaging. So I hope that's helped a little bit. Yes. Mm-hmm. Do you mean in terms of people publishing your? So, so 
it's absolutely so it's massive. It's a massive problem, but all publicity is good publicity. I mean, my books are pirated all over the show, everywhere, and you're not going to stop it. There's no way. I mean, there are things that you can do. I mean, my publishers would put you know cease and desist notices, and 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 they'd be gone, and then they'd pop themselves up somewhere else. So it's definitely a problem, but. Um, you know, it's it's something that I feel like is not a you know it's not a it's not a it's not a um, a reason not to do it. I think so. Yes, you certainly do have that happen, and it was probably more of a problem when people were publishing digitally in the first um, you know back back in the beginning. But yeah, it can be a problem, but I don't really bother about it. Yeah. Yes. You absolutely can. Yes. It depends on what your steps are. I write in Scrivener, and for people who don't know, Scrivener is an amazing writing project management software. So I, I write in that until I get to the point of sending it to my editor. So my editor um, is going to need a document that they can read that is not in my format on, in Scrivener. So I export to Word, and then I work in Word. So you definitely could do that, but I'm not sure how you would go around... You know, if you then wanted to plug it into Pro Writing Aid to get the, the spelling and grammar checked, for example, that might be a bit tricky. So, a lot of my friends do it that way as well. We work in Scrivener right till the end when we're pretty happy, and then we export to Word and then go through that way. But um, so I haven't done it from Scrivener myself, but that's certainly a possibility. Scrivener is an amazing program that, you know, I would trust that they would do what they say that they would do. So yeah, you could try it yourself if you don't, didn't want to go the extra step. Scrivener is a um, I might add it to the slides for you for later so it's a um, it's a writing a writing management software so the beauty of it is that you can have so to say for example I've got, I have three panes open when I write down the left hand side I've got every single scene that I want to have in the middle I've got my word processing part and on the right hand side I've got all my inspiration I've got pictures I've got links I've got little things that I want to remember later on I've got um, um, information from past books I have all my series all connected together. So I've got a series that has got seven books in it. If I can't remember where Priscilla's dining, what Priscilla's dining room curtains colour was, I can just go Priscilla's curtains and it will find it in every single one of those books. So it's a really powerful management tool. What I can also do is go, that scene's not working there, I'm going to pull it all the way up to here and you, it takes the whole scene with it. I can then, I'm having a bad writing day, I need to get my words down, I can go and write the ending, it's right there, I write the ending and then jump back. So you're not having to scroll all the time. It's, it's really, really good. It's a little bit um, complex to get started with, but if you, when you start, if you treat it like just a word processing program and just use what you need, there are lots of really good YouTube um, videos about how to use it. There's lots of good free webinars on how to use it as well. Most of my friends who are full-time authors like me use Scrivener. Um, yes. Do I use a beta reader? Yes, I do. Yes, so a beta reader... Sorry? So I had the beta... Do you remember the um, flow chart that we had? Right, so I've got them at step number two. So I write it... No, sorry, step number three. I write it and then I do my editing and then I send it to my beta readers and then I send it to my editor. 
So my beta readers, um, so a beta reader is really somebody who will read the book before it's published um, and they will look for things like, I've got readers who have read everything I've ever written and they know my characters better than I do. Like I've had them email me and say, well, actually, you know, he's, you know, he's got, he's a size seven in the shoe, not a size 10, you know, that sort of thing. So um, I've got readers who I send stuff to and they'll say to me, look, I don't like that guy. You know, he's, he's a bit harsh in his dialogue. I don't know if that I really like him. And so I've learned to trust these people and I would take, I would use beta readers either before I send to the editor or after it's been to the editor. It really depends on the process and the way you want to, want to work. Yes. Where do you find beta readers? That's a really good question. Um, yeah. Oh, look, mum is always a good mum's always a good person to start with. Honestly, no. So they're my they're my super fans who um, they get all. And as I have, um, I, I keep up to thirty people. Um, that I trust them implicitly. Um, they, you know, I'm very strict with them and what they do. And and I and I've got ways of knowing if they have sent things on because I've got watermarks on my things that I send. So you it, you kind of build it up. I would just give it to a, a trusted reader friend who reads in the genre that you're writing, though. Like I, you know, I don't give my books to a lot. A lot of my friends don't read romance. I don't want them reading it because you know they don't necessarily know the conventions and what I need to have in my books and but I would give it to to people who are interested there are lots of ways to do it social media like if you if you're on social media and you know you've got people who are starting to follow you as a poet or as a, a cookbook author or whatever just say look I've got you know I've got a manuscript looking for some beta readers and ask them some questions yeah okay there's another yes that's all right Yeah, yeah. So in my so I send out to those beta readers also because they are my reviewers. So I probably get I probably get about um, there are probably ten between five and ten of those who will give me feedback. The others will just be doing it for a review. Um, if I get the same thing from more than two people, like he's too mean to her in that scene, or um, you know you can't have killed the cat in that chapter, um, I'll just go. Mm, yeah, they're probably right, but sometimes I just go. Oh, I just feel like I need to put that in there. So I wouldn't have more than I definitely wouldn't have more than ten, and and I probably in the early years only had three or four people. Um, you know, I like people who are going to spread the word about my books as well. So I've got a probably different thing than, than other other people might starting out. I, I would certainly be careful with the advice that they're giving you. And you can always kick them off the beta reader team if you don't like what they say. Because you're the boss. You're the self-published boss. Okay, how do you upload to retailers? This stuff is a little bit dry, but it's important that we go through it so that you understand all this. So to up load to retailers, this is what you need. You need your edited manuscript that's come back from the editor and that's proofed and fabulous and already and sparkly and shiny. You need your cover that you have created or that your designer has created for you in the right dimensions and it's very easy to Google and actually most retailers tell you what the dimensions need to be. 
you need a title and often you need a subtitle because that needs to go into the back end of whichever retailer you're um, selling it on. You need it. You need categories. Now, the categories are linked to your genre. In, in Amazon, they allow you to put two categories in, but you can email them with up to 10 categories. So, for example, I write general contemporary romance, right? But I also write, um, I also write small town contemporary ro- romance. So my books need to be in small town contemporary romance as well as contemporary romance. So I need to know those categories and that helps the algorithms fo- match the reader with the book, right? I also write multicultural romance. So I need to have the books available to people who want to write read about multicultural romance, right? So those categories are really important for you to know. Um, there are ways that you can find out what other people's categories are. There's, and I haven't put it in here, but there's a um, there's a piece of software called Publisher Rocket, where you can pop in Dean Kuntz and you can find out what all his categories are. You can you can put my name and you can find out what all my categories are. I'll try and remember to add that as well. It's called Publisher Rocket. It's a piece of software that you buy and then you can. It's always updated. Um, that's really useful. But you need to know what your general categories are. Um, most people it'll be just pretty straightforward it'll be it'll be um, uh, fiction um, thriller for example but you also have the opportunity to put seven key words in there okay later on today I'm interviewing Colleen Shipley who is a local author who has um, gone the First of all, she went the New Zealand self-publishing route, so she had a New Zealand book based in Marlborough. It's a perfect opportunity to self-publish in New Zealand. She got a printer, she got her books printed, she got into libraries, into bookstores, then she decided she wanted it to be available to everywhere. So we worked together to get it um, uh, uploaded to Amazon, so you can now get it there as well, and we had to work out what her seven key words were. So her book is about... um, uh, it's set in 19, uh, it's set around a Second World War, so between 1942 and 1945 in New Zealand. It's war fiction, it's about women, uh, it's domestic fiction. So we needed to pop those types of keywords in there. Now, why do you put keywords in there? Because those are the words that people type into Amazon. So if I was to think, wake up in the morning and decide, I want to read a story about women in rural New Zealand during the war, I might put Women, New Zealand, Second World War, into Amazon. That might be the only words that I use. The algorithm's going to search every single book that's in that catalogue, which is millions and millions and millions of them, and Colleen's book's going to pop up. So you need to think really carefully about which keywords that you use. I change keywords depending on things. Again, Publisher Rocket, which is the software that I told you about, can help you find keywords. But you can do it yourself. You just go into Amazon and put in what you think people might put when they're going to find your book and and you'll get a whole list of what people have typed in. So if it's our if it's our a model train guy, we might put, you know, engine 364 1962 metal, blah, blah, blah. And you can put that in and see what other things people have, have popped in for keywords. So it's really important to pop those seven keywords in and you can put those in at the beginning. You need to decide your price especially at Amazon, which again is 90% of um, self-published authors published on Amazon. Um, the price should be between $2.99, which sounds like nothing, but remember you're getting 70% of that, to $9.99. Um, and the reason for that is 
if you go lower than two ninety nine, you'll only get thirty percent royalties, and that's because Amazon wants to keep the price higher. Um, and if you go over nine ninety nine, it will drop to thirty percent royalties as well. So you want to keep it between two ninety nine and nine ninety nine. Um, most most fiction is. Are priced between two ninety nine and five ninety nine. Print books would be around about nine ninety nine. It's different. It depends. You can, you, yeah, it, it's different. And of course, I'm talking American dollars, not New Zealand dollars. You also need your payment and your tax details. So your bank account and your New Zealand tax details. So what else have I put on there? Um, so I think I've gone into. Um, you'll need to upload your ebook and your print book separately in the same slot, and you'll need to have your different versions of the manuscript without your links in the print one, and you just need a different size of your um, print cover as well. And I'm I'm thinking about Amazon here, but it's the same with all the other other big retailers. How do you get paid? Very important. It's very easy. So we've got a tax treaty with almost all. I think all of those stores because most of them are based in the US, you all you need to do is to put in your New Zealand IRD number in the KDP Publishing as you, when you go in there. And remember, I've put that link right at the beginning, KDP Publishing. It will ask you for your New Zealand ID number. They will tax you 5% at source. And then when you come to work all your um, tax out at the end of the year with your accountant, they will claim that 5% back and you'll pay your, pay your normal tax in New Zealand. Okay, so they just take that 5% off. It's very, very simple. Um, most stores will pay directly to your bank account. I go through PayPal just because it's an easy way for me to keep track of all my payments because I've got them coming from, in from all sorts of places. Um, and PayPal is really good for um, accounting software and what have you. Um, and so I, they get paid directly into PayPal, generally in American dollars. And then I just push a button and it gets paid into my New Zealand bank account, my Blenheim bank account. So it's easy, easy, easy. And again, your royalty will be 70% if you're between $2.99 and $9.99. I'm just going to speed up a little bit because I think we're going to run out of time. Subscription model. A lot of people don't know about this. So um, I mentioned it a little bit earlier. If you publish on Kindle Unlimited, which is a part of Kindle Direct Publishing, or Kobo Plus, there is a box you can tick that says that you want to go into these programs. Now, these are like Netflix, where the readers pay, it's about $9.99 US, and they can borrow 10 books that are in that program a month, up to 10, and they can read those for free, just like you would watch on Netflix for free. How does the author get paid? Well, it's a little bit controversial, and it's a little bit problematic for some people, but the way you get paid is by the number of pages read. So um, there's something called the Kindle um, Global Fund, and that's all of the books that have been borrowed. There's, uh, it's, I think it's a billion dollars. And that gets divided up into all the authors who have had books borrowed from there, and you get paid for the pages that people have read. So if somebody gets to page five in your book, tough luck. You want them to read a lot. So it's really good. Oh, yeah. It's really good except that if you go in Kindle Unlimited, you can only be with them. You can't be on Kobo, you can't be on Barnes & Noble, you can't be on Google Books, you can only be in Kindle Unlimited. You can still have your books for sale on Kindle as well for people who don't who aren't in Kindle Unlimited, but you can't have them anywhere else. It's different on Kobo. On Kobo Plus, you can be in Kobo Plus, plus on all the other retailers. So the readers pay their monthly fee and the author gets paid by the number of pages. Um, what else was I going to say about that? 
I think that's okay. You can also sell your books direct. Okay, so you can sell direct from your own website. It's very easy to create your own website these days. I created my website with Wix. WordPress is also really easy, but of course, again, you can outsource. Um, Nerdly is a new website, easy um, drag and drop website maker specifically for authors. So you could try that out. I haven't tried it out. And then you can sell from your website. There's something called PayHip which is a place where your readers can come. They go on your website. It's a normal e-commerce website and your book, uh, a copy of your book can go directly into their e-reader or it can get posted out. Okay, so I haven't done it myself, um, but I know people who do and they like using it. Audiobooks, another whole market that you can do. You own the rights to this book. You can do whatever you want with it and you can do that all yourself as well so it's a growing market it's uh it's been a little bit quiet hasn't grown as fast as we thought it was because of the pandemic and the reason for that is because a massive part of the audiobook market is the commuter market so you've got all those people on the london tube and in the new york subway listening to audiobooks and because of lockdowns and people working from home, uh, the market has gone down a little bit, but it's certainly um, uh, resurging now. Um, People, because of podcast popularity, has also got a lot of people onto um, audiobooks as well. How do you get your audiobook narrated? Well, you go to ACX, which is owned by Amazon, or you can go to Find Away Voices. There, you can audition narrators to read your book. Um, I've got a friend who writes... Scottish romantic comedies. She lives on the West Coast. She doesn't want her book read by a New Zealand accent, obviously. So she goes on Find Away Voices. She auditions and she has like young women as her main protagonist. So she's auditioned and she's found this perfect Scottish accent and she gets this narrated. It's quite expensive if you are just doing the the, uh, contracting model. You'd pay about $3,500 for uh, an average length Uh, novel. But there's also um, profit share. So you can also um, halve that cost by profit sharing with the narrator. So it's really quite a nice um, model. And then you can upload to places like um, Audible and um, Chirp is another place. There's lots of different places where you can uh, then upload. So that's a whole other thing. Google Books, if you're published with Google Books, you can use their artificial intelligence. Now, it doesn't sound like that horrible computer voice of the past. It really sounds good. I've tried it out myself. It also allows, I've got quite a few of my books have got, um, um, as I said, multicultural um, characters. Um, I've got quite a few Greek characters who are native Greek speakers. I don't want their dialogue to sound like they're, you know, born in New York. I want them to sound like. And so you can change the act, you can change the pronunciation yourself within that. It's free to use. If you want to try it out, I highly recommend it. And, and then you can upload it. You can't upload it to um, Amazon, unfortunately. It, um, they don't like AI at the moment. But I believe you can upload it to. Kobo, I'm pretty sure. You can sell that on, or you can sell audiobooks that are narrated by AI on Kobo. So that's something, um, you earn more on audiobooks as well. So that's something you could look into. I'm going to race through this because for a lot of people, this is not an issue, but it's really important if you are trying to make money. You can't just put that book up there and expect people to buy it. You still are going to need to do some marketing. So, 
Um, the most common ways are to use an advertising service, Facebook advertising, Amazon advertising, via an email newsletter that is owned by you, paid newsletter advertising where you pay a company that is just for uh, readers, that just has readers looking for new books, virtual book tours, or dedicated book advertisers. So Facebook advertising really quickly is actually really good for self-published authors. It's pay-per-click, so you pay for somebody clicking on the ad that you have created. The, is that me doing that? Um, the beauty of it is that you can target specific readers. So for our example of um, our engine uh, uh, person who's written a book about um, model, model trains, they might just want train enthusiasts who are men between the ages of 45 and 65 who live in Europe. And you can, you, can, you can do that so that the only people who are shown those ads are and who are readers – and so you can you can narrow it all the way down there. You can also um, manage your costs. You can say, I only want to spend $5 a day. And you can send them directly to those storefronts. So they just click and that takes them straight through to Amazon. Click straight through to Kobo, whatever it is that you've, whatever you've put on the end of your click. So it's really, um, really quite powerful. It's good for discounted and free books. Everybody likes a discounted or free book if you want a book one in a series, for example. Um, and there's lots more complicated things that you can do that I do. Like anybody who's ever been on my website, I have a pixel on there. Um, so that it tracks those people and then when I target, when I've got a new book out, I can just target people who have been to my website before. I just, I just go use Facebook Pixel and it will use the pixel that I've got on the end of my website. It's a bit more complicated, but um, you know, I, can do, I did it myself so you can do it yourself. Amazon advertising, uh, it's kind of, I'm kind of morally against it, but you know, you've, you've, you've got your website, you've got your book on their website and they're taking 30% to, you know, you're paying them to advertise it. But what that means is you, it's also pay-per-click. It means that if somebody does put in, you know, engines from, you know, 1964 in there, the algorithm will also pull your um, book in. Or say, for example, you think your book is like a Lee Child book, you can have, you can have it pop up when, people are on Lee Child's page, okay? So it's very powerful as well. People are looking for books, so they're a captive audience. You can target similar authors to you, and your, your ad can pop up on their page, and it's available in lots of Amazon stores. One that all my friends who are full-time authors use and I use is um, my reader list. So in the back of my book, so I'm... I've got a love-hate relationship with Amazon. I hate a lot about what they do, but they certainly can sell books. If anything were to happen with Amazon, if they were to be, do, make a decision that was totally against everything that I believed in, I would have wanted to pull my, my books off there. If I didn't have the email addresses of people who love my books, I'd be screwed. So I, in the back of my books, put a little bit of a, what we call a... Um, a what do we call it? A magnet, a reader magnet. S to get people in, I um, get them to click on a link. They get a free novella, and I get the email 
address. And then I send all of those people on my email list once a month. I send them an email about what I'm writing, how things are going, if I'm doing new covers, if things that are happening in my life. And so when I have a new book out, those are the people that are going to buy my book first off. So it's really important. So I use um, an email reader list. Um, and these are some of the most common other businesses use these as well, of course. Um, you know, all of those ones that you get from clothing shops, I get a lot of those um, come. Uh, I use MailerLite. It's really good. It's intuitive. It's user-friendly. User and it, and it, um, it's linked in with my website, and it's also linked in with the service that I use to automatically download my free book onto people's... Um, I didn't put that in there. It's called BookFunnel, if you're at that point in your career. BookFunnel will deliver directly to people's um, e-readers um, the book's... Um, from there, but I also use that with my email list, and those are just some of the, them there. You can use paid newsletters. So, for example, um, you've got millions of subscribers. BookBub has millions of subscribers. Um, they send out an email every day with the best book deals, and you have to pay. It's about nine hundred New Zealand dollars to get one book on one email. So, and they 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 don't take they take twenty percent of the submissions. So it's really hard to get on there. But when I have a book bub, which is called a book bub feature deal, I pay nine hundred dollars for it, and I probably sell about five thousand dollars worth of books in one day. So it's a really good thing to do. Really, really, really good thing. So because they are readers who are choosing the, the the books. There's websites like Free Booksee, the Fussy Librarian, which is a cute name, that are like BookBub but a little bit um but a little bit less. The final slide I have for you today is some legal requirements that I'll also go over quickly and then we'll have 10 minutes for questions. So legally in New Zealand um, and all around the world, every single book that is ever published has to have an ISBN number. It's an international book number that attaches to a book. There's a different one for an ebook and a print book. Now, if you are just going on Amazon, they will give you your print ISBN. You don't, don't need to get one from anywhere else. And they will also, sorry, but then if you want to use, you want your print book, so if you want print on demand from Amazon or print, print from Ingram Spark or any, anywhere, you need an ISBN. Now, lots of countries you have to pay for ISBNs, but in New Zealand we're lucky that our National Library gives us to them us free. All you need to do is jump on that website, um, say that you're a self-published author and they will send you one ISBN. If you prove yourself to National Library and say, I get have lots of books come out, you can get packs of 10, which is really useful. And you just pop that with that individual book. That will then link to the barcode of the book and that is unique to that your book uh, the world over. The final thing that you need to do is that every single book published by a New Zealand author, it doesn't matter if you've never published in New Zealand, which I haven't done, you still need to have your book's in the National Library. So the National Library has to have a copy of every single book published by a New Zealand author. So you are required, and I popped the link in there, to give a digital copy and a print copy. And it's, you know, it's like an archive. So all the old copies of my books, everything I've ever written, even if everything shuts down everywhere, um, the National Library still has that um, in perpetuity. So those are your legal requirements, the general legal requirements. Oh, I haven't done self-publishing in New Zealand. So, sorry. There are, so, 
self-publishing in New Zealand, you would do kind of every single step except to uploading it, right? Um, you can get editing service in New Zealand, you can get typesetters and printing in New Zealand, you can get cover designers in New Zealand, you can get marketing advice, you can get distribution advice in New Zealand. Um, as I said, it's particularly good for non-fiction books that are specific to New Zealand or some kind of niche genres. Um, I've popped some local printers in there for you, these places where you can go and get your book printed. So what you would do is, you'd, you'd from Vellum, you'd do your PDF copy and then you would send that to the printer and they would print it. What you have to do differently is you obviously you need to distribute your book yourself. I've got this information from New Zealand Society authors and they're always updating. You'd probably have a designer who would liaise with your um, printer. So you would give your designer your all the information, your cover if you've got it, your PDF if you've got it. They would help you with the type setting and design and liaison with the um, who's printing it for you. You'd get it print and bound to their um, minimum requirements, you would pay that money and then you would own those print copies. There is no way of distributing e-books just to New Zealand as far as I'm aware. It's only print. The marketing distribution you would be doing yourself and you'd want to make sure that if you're going to, into New Zealand libraries that you've got at least 50 copies of your book in New Zealand libraries and then you are eligible for what's called the public lending right. That's a pool of money that the New Zealand that New Zealand authors who are only published in New Zealand no, who are published in New Zealand, even if they're published elsewhere. If you have 50 books in New Zealand libraries, you will get a percentage of those, depending on how many borrows you've had. And you can also register with Nielsen Book Data and BookScan to go into their catalogues for um, libraries and bookstores who are wanting your books. Of course, you can go and do all that um, yourself as well. So um, my advice would be, why not aim for a reader in Spain or, or Portugal or um, Africa as well. Doesn't matter what your book is. Why not do both? If you, um, even if you are in those niche genres. So I've got lots of resources here for you. I use these all the time. Joanna Penn is a podcaster. She's been self-publishing since the very beginning. She's married to a New Zealander, so she can't, sometimes comes here and runs a workshop. She's great. The Creative Pen is her weekly podcast. Mark Dawson is probably one of the most famous self-publishers. He's a thriller writer. Sorry, Joanna's a thriller writer as well. Um, he has a, pub, um, a weekly podcast as well, but he also has a, a pretty pricey but pretty good um, introduction to self-publishing which I bought and used he's got a really good how to advertise with self-published book um, uh, uh, course as well that you can sign up with um, yeah he's probably considered the guru but the self-publishing show so the self-publishing formula is the is the um, courses and the self-publishing poet show is a weekly podcast the spa girls are four new zealand writers who write um, across genres they were published self-published very early they do a weekly podcast and a weekly youtube channel i listen to them every week they're fabulous wish i'd known then as people who have self-published and their advice on what not to do they've got a weekly pub oh maybe they're twice weekly new zealand society of authors definitely sign up and look at all the legal advice um general places to go for good advice self-published in New Zealand and this guy David Goffrin is also he's a historical fiction writer that's not the name that he publishes under nobody knows what name he publishes under he's kept that secret he's got a wonderful 
um, if I was going to do anything after today, I would do his free starting from zero self-publishing um, course at self-paced. You can do it how often you like. He updates it. He's also got a fabulous YouTube channel with all sorts of information. He is pretty cutting edge. He also keeps it up to date. Those are just their little, um, their little logos. After this slide, I'm going to put my website up with the link to these slides. I might even go in and add a few things that I've thought of. That'll be up for two months. Do not hesitate to contact me through there if you've got any questions after today, but I'm sure there are some before we go. Yeah, it's a very good question. In the beginning, I spent more time when I was learning how to do it, definitely more time. And if you want to make a career, if you want to make money, you have to protect that writing time because if you don't have a book, you know, you don't have a business. So at the moment, it depends. I am in a active writing phase at the moment. I'm three quarters of a way through a book, which... Um, was supposed to come out two months ago, which I have had to push forward because of various life things happening. Um, but I spend very little time doing this now because because I've got all of those people on board who work for me. I've got I have to book them in. Some things I do myself. Um, my website I do myself, but. I mean, when I'm in an active writing phase, I would do very little. Um, and then other phases, I might spend two weeks updating my website or two weeks rediscovering all my books or, or something like that. Once you learn how to do it, though, it's, it is pretty easy, pretty straightforward. Or if you don't want to learn how to do any of it, you just write and you pay people to do all the rest. And you just need to manage that. Just do some time management. Yes. So, yes, I know. Sorry, there was a lot. Sorry? Oh, <laughs> so lots of better people than I have done so. But I know you have self-published, Luke. No, but I just wanted to say that you have done the New Zealand. Are you thinking about doing the global? Absolutely, but you could do print for international as well. There's no reason why you couldn't have both. You probably need, because you'll have an ISBN on that print book, you'd, it'll be the same that you put in the back of Amazon or wherever you are. Um, but yeah, I would do both. Yeah. There's no reason not to. A traditional publisher told me recently, if you have any hope, I mean, I'm unrealistic, but I hope perhaps one day some print Probably true that if you ju if you have an ebook and then want to go traditional, 
it's quite difficult. I mean, a publisher, uh, well, there's 50 shades of grey, she, she did it, but um, it, that's probably quite difficult to do. They really don't want to republish something that's already been published, but it's kind of a tricky one because it depends if you, if your goal is just to be traditionally published, then I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it like that. I wouldn't publish an ebook. But if you want to build your readership yourself through print and ebook, then I would just, I would do that, you know. Uh, um, it's really difficult to say. Um, it depends on a lot of things. It depends on your genre. It depends on your setting. It depends, um, yeah, it depends on a lot of things. But I wouldn't want somebody to go down the ebook if they really wanted that same book to be published. But if you want to give it a try and you want to get a later book published, like, for example, I'm giving my agent this book that I have now because it's a bit different for me and she's read it and she, well, she's read the first half and really likes it and thinks that she has a publisher in mind, I can still do that. And they will actually like it because they know that I know how this all works. They know how that I can market th books myself now, that they most publishers don't spend nearly the money that they used to on, on marketing you. So, yeah, we can sort of certainly talk about it afterwards, Luke, but it just kind of depends. If you are, you know, if you do want to go that traditional route, then I would hold off on the ebook. If you want to do it yourself and you want your print book available overseas, you want your ebook available overseas and in New Zealand, then, then I'd certainly jump in and do it. Any other questions at all? I am more than happy to stay behind and answer any questions that you have specifically about your work or anything to do with writing or anything or groups or anything. I've probably forgotten some things along the way, but we are at 11.30. Thank you so much for um, attending today. I was um, so pleased to see so many of you here and don't hesitate to email me and jump on the website to get the, to get the slides and I'll keep those updated with a few extra things as well. And that is um, this yeah. That was Barbara DeLeo speaking at the 2022 Marlborough Book Festival. A big thanks to all the writers who have supported the festival, as well as the audiences that attended in person or listened online. If you'd like to learn more about the event, head over to marlboroughbookfest.co.nz. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Thanks for listening.